This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast is sponsored by Brewskits, handcrafted dog treats made from spent beer grains, oats, barley, and rye. No chemical preservatives, a great source of fiber, and packed with protein. Visit brewskits.com to see the full selection of treats for your dog and your cat. Receive 15% off your first order by typing in two important words, Fermented Adventure, at checkout. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. We're here at Triple Sun Spirits in Emmaus, Pennsylvania. He's Chris Quant. I'm Rich Shane. Dawn Ranieri's here, and this is Fermented Adventure, the podcast. Chris, thanks for hosting us and having it your distillery and tasting room today. Absolute pleasure. Now. One of the things that I want to know, one of the things that people, the listeners, the things that they want to know right now is, how did all this get started? Well, it's an interesting story. Uh, There's a lot of twists and turns, but uh, I will not bore the guests too much. It really started in uh, probably, I'd say, about 20 years ago. Uh, I was expecting my first child, and my dad and I were sitting and watching How It's Made TV show where they peel back the curtain on different things and Sam Adams Brewing Company was on there and I sort of got the bug for home brewing. My dad and I put uh, one of those beer kits to the test and it turned out pretty good. All right. So what do you remember the beer itself? Do you, and, and was this more about the interaction with dad than it, it was, really it was, was a about the beer? experience, but it was also about the beer too. Right? My dad and I both are sort of uh, makers. We like to do stuff with our hands and it was a good experience for us both. Uh, but the real sort of uh, bug, I guess, that was set was uh, I actually concocted a plan because our first beer turned out pretty good, if I don't uh, say so myself. And you did. Uh, I did. <laughs> uh, and uh, so uh, we went a- ahead and made a barley wine as our second beer. That's pretty adventurous to just go from home brewing and then just say, all right, we're making a barley it wine. It was a fermented adventure for sure. Okay. Uh, and so uh, I laid those bottles down for my uh, my firstborn son. To him and I to share when he turned 21, right? And that barley wine is one of those beers that potentially could could manage to last that long. So I guess I, I want to know, not to belabor that point, did you share that with your son, that the barley wine? Was- well, he's turning 20 in April. Okay, so he hasn't so he's even... not yet. All right. Uh, but... <laughs> is the barley wine still there? I mean, the bottles are still it there? Everything. Oh, okay. Uh, my uh, sister-in-law um, was house-sitting for us, and when we came back, all of that beer was gone because she invited a bunch of friends over and they drank it. So... I was That's so, some kind of party. I was super pissed. But okay. anyway. <laughs> but uh, so this adventure in homebrewing, uh, ultimately, my fermented adventure, uh, led me to really getting interested in the craft and wanting more. 
And making good whiskey starts with making good beer. So it was actually a natural progression. All of the stuff that I learned over the last two decades in brewing beer helped inform the science behind how to develop the foundation for really solid spirits. And that was history. I mean, I won some medals uh, and awards. I was a, I'm a nationally certified beer judge, um, which, you know, there are more, um, I guess, more beer judges and stuff now than there were a few decades that's, ago. That's high honor. That's high praise. I mean, you really, you, you, you really dove deep into the yeah, beer making scene <clears throat> to become this accredited representative in the beer world. Where did that transfer? Was it just, all right, I think I've done everything I can do in the brewing scene. Why is Triple Sun Spirits a distillery and not a brewery? It's a great question. Um, first of all, we got to look at timing, right? Homebrewing uh, led to the craft beer movement, which really started gaining traction in the 80s and then into the 90s really took off. At the beginning of the, the 2000, I mean, you, you couldn't go into a bar without seeing multiple craft beer taps, right? Uh, when the laws in Pennsylvania sort of changed 2012, uh, 2013, to sort of initiate craft spirits as an option, uh, that was really a maturing industry, sort of the jumping on the train as it, the caboose not really interesting to me. So getting on the ground floor of something like the craft beer movement where you could see it mature and grow uh, was much more intriguing to me. Now you had already the basis, like you said, I can make beer. Yeah. It now just where did the education for you come in to learn how to do distilling where you've already had that beer brewing experience? I am a nerd of the highest order. When it comes to this sort of thing, I will geek out on it to its deepest level. So every rabbit hole that I could possibly go down, I went up to and including traveling to different parts of the Caribbean, um, visiting distilleries. I'm a rum guy. That's always been sort of my thing. And uh, knowing that uh, spirits are distilled from wine or beer, essentially, uh, when I would travel, I would always make an opportunity to create my own excursion, so to speak. And visit these distilleries, but with my previous knowledge and being a, a judge and all of these other things gives me the ability to sort of break down what's being done a little bit more uh, in a nuanced way. And so I would ask some really off-the-wall geeky questions of some of these folks when I would go on these tours. What is an example of an off-the-wall geeky question? When I went to a rum distillery in Jamaica, the first question on the tour I asked is, where are the dunder pits? Okay. And, <laughs> and their thought... Was, uh, who's this guy on the tour? <laughs> yeah, like that, that's not a common question. Uh, muck pits and dunder are not common things that come up during typical tours. All right, now educate me because I don't know what a muck pit or a dunder pit, and this is why I love these conversations because yeah. I get to learn too, and hopefully this share, I've never heard anybody in the whole room, you know, other conversations that spoke about a dunder pit or a muck pit. Back in the day when rum was first sort of developed as an option, you know, you got to go back to... The revolutionary period, even before that, um, and pirates and things like that, the uh, the um, East India Trading Company and whatever. So you've got these sugarcane plantations in the Caribbean that are really being funded and subsidized by governments because beet sugar was the only option really at the time in Europe. 
and so eventually, uh, you know, pirates and things like that, all of these different things, rum was made in a way that was really robust and really flavorful because of the sugar refining process and the fact that they're using molasses and different things like that. Molasses is a very robust ingredient, right? If you make rum with uh, with granulated table sugar, it's not it's necessarily the, it, there's no there's no depth there's no character. It's going to be like vodka, yeah, right. So if you really want to cement some really awesome, we call them congeners or uh, flavors. They're esters and they're aromatics that come. You kind of got to get a sort of a chemistry background to truly under. But this is a, this is basic chemistry 101. An ester is a synthesis of a. An acid molecule and an alcohol molecule. When you put the two of them together, you get an ester. Okay, so if you understand acids, you know you're making alcohol because you're fermenting something. You're just going to make sure when you're fermenting, you're, you're building acids and the alcohol at the same time, and you can create esters. The yeast do that, but also other bacteria do it as well. And so way, way, way back in the day, uh, you can imagine you're on an island. You're refining sugar, and you're doing all these things, and but they we're really more about trying to reuse, recycle, and that sort of thing because how are you getting supplies uh, to an island, right? Uh, so, so you really were capturing or using what the natural resources or whatever you still had there. Exactly. So now I know this is kind of like circuitous in my conversation here, but uh, I know where you're going. When I'm done distilling, what we call in the rum world what's left in the pot after you're done, we call it dunder. Okay. Uh, stillage is another term for it, but it's essentially really low alcohol, but uh, it's got it's acidic, so it's got a low pH because we can't distill off acids. Uh, it's got nutrients, it's got dead yeast, it's got all of these things. There's still some sugar left over because we never get 100% um, conversion on a sugar into alcohol. And so you've got really a, a nutrient-rich slurry for lack of a better description. You can use that uh, to feed livestock if you dry it and things like that. So what they would do is they would just dig these giant pits out in the jungle, right near the rum plantations, uh, the distilleries. And uh, these estates would actually just uh, discharge their dunder into these pits, and it would rot. A bat might fall in it. You know, in Jamaica, they love uh, goat is great. Um, you know, you might take the goat carcass and toss it in there too. Some bananas, nice. you know, fruits and things. Whatever okay. would fall in. The wind would blow the leaves and they'd go in there too. And all this junk would rot all together. And there were these bacterium that would essentially be doing the, the breaking down of all of these organic materials. And they would be producing acids. And when you take some of that, that's called a muck pit. If you take some of that really acidic gunk, which smells horrendous, by the way. I, I think you can imagine. Right. And you actually add a portion of that. That's going back into the rum? To the fermentation. Okay. So it's sterile. It's being desterilized. I mean, there's legitimately nothing pathogenic that can survive in a fermented beverage or product. Nothing. Nothing. It can taste weird. It can smell weird. I mean, cheese is a great example, but a lambic is a soured, funked oh, yeah. beer, but at the end of the day... It's perfectly safe to consume. I mean, it's one of the reasons why the cholera, uh, you know, and, and different things were, 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 people were insulated not by drinking the water, but by drinking fermented beer. And, and in Europe, you can still see this. You can be 16 and order a beer or whatever, uh, 18 and order a beer. Which I think during this time, yeah, I think the government or those local bodies should be promoting alcohol consumption, yeah. especially through the pandemic. It's safe. Why aren't we doing more? I don't know. 
All right, I got the idea of what this dunder pit is So now. you're adding acids to the fermentation, and it's actually creating really robust uh, ester profile, which is why rum has a much more noticeable flavor That's why profile. if you go back to these older plantations, mm-hmm. and I'm sure my the guess is rum, they yeah. may not be doing that as much anymore. Uh, it's, if it's, they do, they're not telling you. It's a guarded secret yeah. because, uh, just hypothetically speaking, do you think that the FDA or, or whatever would really appreciate me having a muck pit Somewhere well, you here. you do distill rum. We have a muck pit, and all right. So it's this does exist. This it's, it's a, a barrel. <laughs> it's, a, it's controlled. Gotcha. Uh, so we're following appropriate protocols, uh, but at the end of the day, yeah, we we allow we take a portion of our dunder, we reserve it in a special barrel with bacterial colonies that will continue to break it down. Uh, like lambic as a secondary fermentation, and then we take portions of that and add it into our fermentations when we start them from scratch. Allow the molasses that we use, super premium uh, Caribbean source molasses, and we essentially are doing what estate rum, plantation rum producers in Jamaica are doing. This is why I love this interaction, this conversation. There are things I'm learning today, and there are probably things that people who are listening to this podcast have never heard before. The, the, the fact that you interjected that, yeah. and we had no idea that that was going to happen, but thank you for that. No problem. That was a great education piece. And you can I, edit. I, you can edit. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, this is why I, you know, we're ne- we never know where this conversation could take us, and what I have the ability to learn, and you have the ability to share. Right. This really, for people to understand, distillers come from all walks of life. That's true. And what their background or what their history, and even before the podcast started, you know, you are a great study of history. You're a great study of spirit history. We talked about some things, prohibition, pre-prohibition, and, you know, the, the result of those things and the impact on society and on the economies and things like that. So this is where, you know, we take this, and I think there's an important value to understand. If you don't Without know where out. you've come from, how do you know where you are? Now, and with, even to pay homage. Yeah. Even just to pay homage. Uh, because if you truly under like World War II, you know we're shipping all these uh, young folks who, who, in some cases, aren't even old enough to drink, right? Over to Europe, drinking age is different. They start enjoying some German beers, light beers, or whatever lager. What happens? Uh, now we have Budweiser, uh, you know, Schlitz, and all of these brands um, propagated, right? Because the shift generationally changed because of the circumstances that were going on, right? And the same thing happened with rum. Back in the day, if you were ordering rum in the 1700s, it's going to taste more like uh, Caribbean-style rum than Puerto Rican, like Bacardi. Bacardi is the – and I don't mean this in a derogatory way at all. So if your listeners take any offense to this at all, I apologize in advance. But uh, there's a spectrum of flavors in everything fermented. Beer, you could have Michelob Ultra on one end of the spectrum and uh, barley wine on the other end of the spectrum, Right. In spirits, it's the same. And you can break it down further into, into each individual spirit line. So rum, you could have Puerto Rican style, which is Bacardi, on one end, and Appleton's or Ray and Nephew or, or, or Myers Jamaican style rum on the other end of the spectrum, right? So it's a really broad spectrum. So we would look at um, Bacardi as like the, the vodka of the rum world or the, or the Miller Lite of the rum world, um, which a lot of Americans have gotten used to. Less flavorful, more cocktailable. Right. And, right? and a lot of that 
in their thinking, was the reason why they produced it and made it that way. Exactly. And, and, and some broader, of it impacts the government right? and wanting to export a product, that was easier to do than a lot of these different flavor nuances that might have turned off people's palates or wouldn't have been a, a mass opportunity to, to garner that, right? Right. So we're trying to shift – we're trying to be part of that shift, right? We're the same approach that I was discussing before about the craft beer movement shifting people away from, you know, the the, the fizzy yellow water, so to speak. Which, by the way, is very difficult to produce consistently. So I got to give them props, right? That's the point that's always made. Yeah. It's always consistent. Yeah. You've got to give you know what that you get, right to so them. A commercial enterprise like us, we have the same expectations. A customer when they come in and buy a bottle, it should be the same as they got two years from now or two years ago, right? Uh, but we want to try and promote uh, a little bit more historically accurate uh, approach um, and, and bring back some of the original. So us having a muck pit, us introducing dunder uh, and doing a secondary fermentation, it's historically accurate. And it, it pre presents a rum that is much more flavorful, much more aromatic. We have notes of banana and um, buttered popcorn and 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 tropical fruits that are coming out. See now, you this is going to be great because when we taste through the rum, this is kind of setting it up with the anticipation yeah. of enjoying oh, yeah. your rum. So, yeah, it's called Hogo, by the way. Hogo. It's H A U T. Okay. G A U T. Okay. Hogo is how it's pronounced. It means high flavor. Okay. And it's when you say something is gamey, it's kind of difficult to describe. Uh, Until you taste it. And then Hogo you... is one of those things. It's very difficult for me to describe, but it is essentially the essence of rum. And the more or less Hogo you have defines what kind of rum you're really trying to produce. Jamaicans produce an incredibly high ester content and essentially are, are maximizing the Hogo. We have, uh, I would venture to say something that's more akin to uh, a Cuban style or, 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 or South American style rum, still influenced very heavily by the Caribbean, but at the end of the day, it's a little bit more central because we still have to make cocktails with it. Of course. And again, that becomes what is your, if you're making cocktails, you don't want that flavor profile to overpower no doubt. all those flavors you're Or at you're least adding. understand how to use it. And what ingredients? And to what pair ingredients with it, added? Right? To, right. So you can you can rein some of that in with correct pairings of your mixers. All right. This has created so many places <laughs> I want to go. Let's do it. Now, initially, you know, we're talking about. All right. You started brewing beer. Yeah. You started to get really nerdy and geeky about the idea of doing distilling. Where did the name Triple Sun Spirits come in? I, again, you know, the, the impetus for starting the beer journey, really, the fermented adventure, was uh, was a son being born. And, and I have two more. So three sons. Three triple, sons. Triple son. It's, but you went with S-U-N well, versus I mean, I didn't want to sound like a 50s sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> my three sons. I don't even know if there's a distillery called My Three Sons. There's but, not. But essentially, that's what you are. You're My Three Sons. It is, yeah. So it, it's not necessarily that uh, I expect my children uh, to pick up the torch, you know. They get to blaze their own path and do what they do want. Do they have interest in it? Do they see, you know, what, what you do? Chris is and, and say I, I'd like to do that or I'm, I'm fascinated by or can I come by and help you yes I mean I my I remember uh, getting a phone call from uh, the elementary school when my oldest was involved uh, 
in, in making an art project and the teacher said, um, you know, I had an interesting conversation with your son. Uh, he was rolling some clay out and I asked him what he was doing and he said, I'm preparing the hops. <laughs> <laughs> they've been a part of it. Uh, I call them my brew monkeys. Uh, they've always been um, a part of helping me. Uh, not to sample, but uh, but to be involved in understanding what it is that I do. And they're not legally allowed to help here, you know, because we have OSHA regulations uh, as a commercial business. Um, my 19-year-old is helping at this point. Um, he's got his own thing, though. He does EMS and fire, and, and so he's blazing his own trail there. Very cool. But they do help out, without a doubt. So um, as they get old enough to be able to participate, I have a 19-year-old, a 15-year-old, and a 6-year-old, so... Uh, that's a that's a range. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be I'll be set for life then, right? I'll well, that's hey, you've got the plan. Mm-hmm. See how they come. I'm just thinking. When it's time for them to change my diapers. I've got a handful <laughs> to select from there. <laughs> I'm just thinking in my head. My my father was an accountant, and you are, you know. Accounting can be fascinating. It can be sexy. But, but you're the cool sexy. dad. I mean, literally. What does your dad do? Oh, my dad's he, – he, he, he has a distillery. He owns a distillery. I mean – Everybody's got a superpower. I just make whiskey. That's it's, fine. I mean <laughs> – Now, you talked a little bit about where you started and you have a vast amount of information and a vast amount of experience with rum. What was the process for you, you know, deciding the stills that you wanted, setting this up, and really getting to where you wanted to be and understanding that you, you were shooting for your clear spirits first, and it sounds like that was well, really we a spot. Well, right. if we want to make our own anyway. Yeah. Uh, th- uh, never trust the distillery that opens its doors with brown spirits. Oh, uh, well, I mean, you can trust them. I think their important point, especially where we are today, mm-hmm. is you need to communicate that to the if consumer. If they're being authentic about yes. what it is you need to do that. Right There's nothing wrong with I stand corrected. procuring I this. No, no, I understand it because there's a really good... That, that, this is a great a really conversation. You bring up a really good point. So one of the biggest differentiators between the craft beer movement and the craft spirits movement is the craft beer movement was born out of a desire to improve the quality of the products that were available. You could go to the liquor store now and you can find amazing stuff right now, even before the craft spirits movement started. Absolutely. So we are not differentiating on quality per se. But, I, you know, I'm going to stop you there because I think the craft spirits movement mm-hmm. is raising the bar. It is. On, uh, across the whole spectrum. It is because we're doing things. So, so if you are a very large, especially a family, uh, uh, the business has been sort of a family jewel, a crown jewel, and it's generationally been passed on, there's a lot of resistance to change, right? So innovation is not a typical thing in the spirits industry. Craft, it is. And so if I'm going to fail on my scale, I'm going to lose $1,000 if Jack Daniels is going to fail, uh, they're losing millions of dollars on a on a product line they screw up. Right to that point, and you know, you look at Jack Daniels; mm-hmm. they didn't really enter the craft movement until the la- you know over the last ten years. But even look at the last couple of years, where now they're doing the limited release and and all the things they're doing. So even they had to take the time to look at their production and decide this was the right time to enter that space. And and, and the craft spirits movement is part of that. They're looking at beer as an analog and they're not going to be caught like Budweiser or whatever, you know, InBev 
picked up a whole bunch of these craft brands because if you can't beat them, buy them, right? Well, and I think for a lot of those larger, the, the, you look at that point and you say, all right, we're not going to be able to tool and refine and produce this here. Mergers and acquisitions. Yep. That's exactly the way it's done. This industry is not as ripe for that, uh, although it does happen. Yeah. Uh, there's Who are you going to buy? Uh, so right now we have small distilleries that are beginning to build well, you know, received recognition, Balcones and all of these other uh, distilleries out there. Uh, but they're still, you know, relatively small. Um, so from a market share standpoint, they're not dangerous yet. But uh, it drives a reckoning at the, you know, strategic level that these board members or these, these uh, chiefs in the company have to decide, are we going to find the same issue 10 years from now that the craft beer industry was finding, or are we going to start becoming more innovative? And so it's forcing that. I think the innovation is there. And, and you know, not to go too far down this railroad track, sure. but I think from a standpoint of saying there are craft distilleries, and you know them now, that they're now being started where there's an idea in mind at the end, like every other business, yeah. this is a startup business and we're just looking for the payday where somebody's going to buy us. You didn't start out Triple Sun to be bought out. Not necessarily. If the opportunity comes, well, you would look at it. I mean, actually, it wasn't my business plan because uh, you got to be smart. Okay. Uh, my job is to understand the dynamic of the environment that I'm in and plan accordingly, and contingencies are part of that, right? That's a contingency, but was that an end result? That was no, like, hey, it's not the driver. And I think that's where some of the distilleries are sure. being start today to say, we just want to get bought out, and we're going to reach that level of. But that's production. usually done with investment, right? Uh, these are folks that are, you know, typically funding. For that payout, right? We're going to go back to the future now. We're going to go back to the future. And where we're going to talk about is the spirits that you decided to start with. Yeah. And so, yeah, you what did. You, did what, you, you segued into that. <laughs> I, I took us on a tangent. I apologize. But, no, I'll do that. We'll do that together. Uh, so, yeah. So, um, as I said before, uh, never trust a distillery that starts off day one with ground spirits that they claim they made themselves unless they were willing to absorb the cost and overhead with zero cash flow while they turn that into a brown product. But there are really great products that are being made right now uh, in in large distilleries with, with economies of scale where you get really good juice, we call it. Uh, what's, in the, what's in the barrel, we, we get really good juice that then we can tailor, right, uh, with our own aging characteristics and our own barrels and our own finishing. Uh, so there are some unique things, but, but the labels really tell you a lot, right? In the United States, it's required by law that if a whiskey product is produced by a different distillery than the one that's bottling it, that, that the, the state of distillation has to be listed. So if I bought bourbon from Kentucky and had it shipped here, I have to put on the label, you know, distilled in Kentucky. Right. And then there's you start to be able to figure out the map, the trail. Yeah. So you know where the, you know, if I say distilled in Indiana, well, it's... MGP. Yeah. It's right. it's pretty much, I know where that came from. What I think is interesting and to the point of what you have the opportunity to do here is, you know, contract distilling now in the small craft industry yeah. is becoming uh, more notable to what we're seeing. There are more craft distillers now doing contract distilling. And, and we do it. 
how how has it been for you to where you were there distilleries that you talked to before you got set up here? Did you have relationships that people where where did you get that idea again to set up your still and know what the setup that you wanted to be? I didn't talk to anybody because I had a pretty good. Uh, I mean, yeah, I talked to people over twenty years. Um, and, and developed an understanding of how it's done. I feel like that's what we've been doing. We, yeah. we talk to people. I have an idea of how it's done, mm-hmm. but how did you then apply it to what you were looking math. to do? Okay, math. I suck at math, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> this industry is incredibly STEM-heavy, so if you have a solid understanding of STEM, then you're going to really do well here. But you also obviously have to have all the hats, right? Business and uh, acumen as well. Uh, sales and marketing, all that good stuff. But in terms of production, like equipment train, which is really what you're referring to, I spent uh, two decades in pharmaceutical manufacturing as well. Uh, so it does help that... I- How many people, Don, have we talked to that have pharmaceutical background and become distillers? I never in brewers and pharmaceutical pharmacists, yeah. pharmaceutical manufacturers, engineers. So uh, I uh, was in HR. So um, I don't want to make it sound like okay. I'm a chemist with <laughs> test tubes, right? Um, my job was leading learning and development uh, and translating company objectives into learning objectives so that essentially I was teaching people how to make drugs, right? Doesn't mean I'm making them. Doesn't mean I know how, but uh, osmosis, right? I have to develop the curriculum, which means I'm exposed to the material. I'm interviewing subject matter experts to develop the material and crafting, designing, and developing training programs, you'll learn a thing or two. And you'll learn a thing or two when you do it at my level across the entire business, uh, developing executive coaching training programs or entry-level new hire programs and everything in between really does give you a pretty good education on how a business is run, in particular a multinational. So uh, I did get a really good education, uh, not just you know formal education, but but passively just by these experiences that I've had and my hobbies. Hobbies of brewing. Brewing, travel, and that sort of thing. And putting that all together. Now, here we are in Emmaus, Pennsylvania, and I think this is one of the little The cornerstone of distilling in the world. This is the crown jewel. I mean, look, literally, you go in this town. This is such a charming town. It's such an inviting place. Without a doubt. And what was it about here? I mean, is this an area you grew up in? I one word. Go ahead. Water. Water. It's the water. Everywhere else in the Lehigh Valley, you're buying your water from a third party. Um, and those municipal suppliers are treating it. And, and oftentimes very heavily. Uh, it's no secret that the Lehigh Valley is a very hard water supply. Anybody who uh, has ever seen their um, faucet... Or, or tried to get their clothes to wash really nicely. You know, it's hard water. It's really hard to make good soap. But that's actually really great for, for brewing. The harder the water, the better the ale, so to speak. Uh, because those nutrients uh, really influence everything from pH and osmotic pressure and all these other things that the yeast, that's their environment. That's so they, I relate this to yeah. when you look at areas like you know Kentucky and the limestone. Exactly. And Exactly. But, but we are here in what would be considered... Beds, there's cho- there's limestone and, and 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 there's bicarbonates all over the place here. You get your water tested, and the bicarbonate rates are ridiculous, hundreds of parts per million. Um, and so, we want that. And Emmaus is actually one of the few communities in the Lehigh Valley that own their own water supply. It's owned by the residents. It's not sold. Uh, there are six artisanal wells here. 
Uh, and so we're tapping into a pristine water supply ultimately that is unadulterated and we're able to ensure now obviously there are some treatments that are done to it to ensure that it doesn't have any uh, bacteria or yeah, things yeah. like that so, so so no pathogens but but it's minimally treated right I, I you know to give people a visualization we're in the I guess what would you say the Lehigh Valley is the foothills of the Pocono the Pocono Mountains so we've well, got Appalachian all right so yeah. we've got snow mm-hmm which, you know, we, we get snow in the mountains, it melts out, right. and that gets filtered, and it all comes to Emmaus. There are all these underground aquifers. Where now you have the best water around. So we have really, really good water in Emmaus. And so, one, it's pricing control. It's one of the most large, one of the largest raw materials that we use, obviously. Uh, so to know that I have uh, a control over, or at least awareness of, a little bit more visibility to the water supply and how it's being uh, distributed uh, the pricing. The, the residents have to vote on on pricing increases. Y- your water supplier could say, "Hey, next month we're raising your rates by twenty five percent." They don't have to tell you anything. They just let you know. And, yep, a, and, and there's no and there's no that, conversation. That That's letter, it. I guarantee you threw that letter away. Like all of us. Yeah. When we get mail now. It's like <laughs> throw it away. Right. Right. But at least here, I have a total visibility all the time of what's going on. And, and so since water is such a critical component, that's, that's sort of the driver. You really have a very detailed, a very organized way of thinking. And you can see that from the way you've created this tap room and the distillery. But you've set it here in a place, as you said, I had the forethought, or you had the forethought, to know that the most important commodity that you're going to start with was your water mm-hmm. that you have created. This is this vision? I mean... The, the tap room, as you had talked about, you're creating your own spirits yep. for your tap room. This exactly. is the community area. I mean, this is where the community comes and becomes part of your family, doesn't it? Yeah, and, and, and our my business model is really unique in that uh, we're a craft we, – we, we, we craft handcrafted cocktails. We're a cocktail bar that moonlights as a distillery. So, so our, we're, we're more hospitality-focused. Now, when we get into talking about your spirits, we're going to talk to Sarah, who is your bar manager. She creates all the cocktails and the yes. cocktail manager. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, from, from talking that through, is that that's the vision you had even when you set this up? This is what you wanted it to look like? Yeah. Um, you know, this is kind of taking a page out of, uh, out of Ford's book, um, Vertical Integration, right? So rather than just opening a bar and then beholden to uh, – all of the, the liquor store or the, the supplier, uh, we make it. We have 100% control over every quality aspect of it from the water up, right? We can truck everything in but the water, so the water was the first place to start. Uh, so we have really strict quality controls that we follow, and, and then they translate to an absolutely prolific level of creativity uh, in Sarah's cocktail creations. Uh, it's overwhelming sometimes. I think the uh, the portfolio of cocktails that she's developed over the last five six years is <laughs> more pages in the fo- uh, than the phone book. Okay, so when we come back, we're going to talk about your spirits. We're going to taste through, get your vision as to what we're tasting. We're going to talk to Sarah about those prolific cocktails that she's making, the yep. extent of what she's creating, yep. and really introduce that to the community and and get some refills here. and get some refills. <laughs> we'll be back. Brewskits. Beer, grain, dog, bones, brewskits. Your dog will go wild. Brewskits. 
Beer Green Dog Bones, a healthy alternative for your pup. Brewskits are all natural and made in the USA. Visit brewskit.com. That's B-R-E-W-S-C-U-I-T.com. We're back. Sarah has joined us for this segment of the podcast. We had so much fun just trying to figure out what we were going to taste today. We've got this special bottle. This is... Uh, I look at this, and this is, I consider to be a unicorn bottle that you're going to open that I think that you wouldn't open unless royalty showed up, so I'm grateful for that. Without doubt. This is such a special release. We're going to leave it at that, and then we'll let everybody know. Sarah, we're going to talk a little bit about cocktails and the program here. Now, we we literally took four hours to decide what we were going to taste now, (laughs) but we have a couple of glasses in front of us. Where should we start? With what you want to taste now? Well, uh, the select. Well, let's first off describe what the selections are, so that we can. You're our tour guide. Day a lay of the land. Okay. Um, We have a white spirit on the board here. That is our uh, American style distilled gin. Uh, We have three brownish spirits. Uh, One of them is the collaboration that we did with uh, a local regional brewery. Uh, we can say fetish. Fetish. Okay. Yes, we're allowed okay. to say fetish. All right. So fetish brewing company. Now you're concerned. Can I say fetish on the podcast? Can no, I? we can say can fetish. Okay. We interviewed Aaron, and uh, he was a guest on the podcast. And so, yeah, we're big fans. So we, uh, I am too, uh, which is why we decided to do a collaboration with him. So we're, we're putting a collaboration on the board. That is a special release product, so it's not something that we have on a regular. Um, we also have uh, our aged rum. We did talk quite a bit in depth about rum, so I'm a rum guy, and I, I wanted to have one of those on the, on the board. And finally, we have our uh, straight Pennsylvania bourbon, which is uh, a little bit more of a rare commodity. However, uh, while there have been some challenges with the pandemic, there's also been some blessings, and one of those blessings is we've been laying more bourbon down than we ever have before. So we've got a warehouse filled with barrels, and we should be releasing that more often. So I feel like a kid in a candy store. We're going to start. I, I feel like a drinker in a distillery yeah. tap room drinking establishment. We're gonna, Where do you want to start? We're, I want us to. I want to at least say we're going to end with the gin, and okay. the reason for that is because it's so complex and the flavors are so layered and nuanced that I want to make sure there's nothing that's going to carry over into the next. Because it'll stay with you. It's, okay, it's a neat, neat. Now I'm even more excited. Uh, so I think the first thing we should start off with is the rum. Uh, that would be where I would start. Okay. Uh, followed by the fetish, uh, collab whiskey, and then we'll do the bourbon. All right. And then we'll round the whole thing out with the um, with the gin. Did I grab the, the right unicorn, one? Unicorn, on the other hand, though, I mean, uh, do we do we want to – that one we need like a palate cleanser when we're done because we're going to save that one for the true end. Okay. But we'll, we'll do a little palate cleansing in, um, after we're done. All right. So what do we – which one are we grabbing first here? That one? This is a <laughs> So the first one here uh, is the aged rum, and this is aged actually more like a bourbon in that we use brand new number four char uh, Kentucky oak. We have it sourced direct from Louisville. They're actually made for us uh, by a boutique um, Cooperage. Which Cooperage are you boutiquing? Kelvin. Okay. Cooperage. Kelvin Cooperage. Uh, their patriarch uh, came over from Scotland. Actually, um, he he was a, a Cooperage apprentice. Uh, but, you know, in Scotland, uh, they're recoupering, essentially taking American oak barrels and putting them back together again because they get shipped from here over there. So why did you choose to do new virgin American oak? Why did you choose a Homage. number? Uh, just so the whole thing is just to uh, – but, but 
we talked about such a rich um, history or a rich desire to tell a story of history in rum, which you which you did in the prior part of the podcast. Mm-hmm. What was it to decide that this was the barrel you were going to use? This was the char you were going to use. I wanted to give a little bit more of an impression of bourbon and its its notes. Right, brand new oak American whiskey notes are are really because we're using brand new barrels, right? And so there's going to be a little bit more wood forward. Uh, and you're going to get some of the vanillin and, and lactone and different things that come out based on how we enter the barrel and how we age it, our, our profile. But if you go back to, um, you know, pre-revolutionary war period, um, they're using barrels as the as the conveyance. Exactly. And there's no distinction between new, used. There's no regulations. There's nothing been codified or promulgated in, in, in by, by Congress or any of that BS. You just did what you did because that's what you did. And so there's a lot of history behind using new oak. So you take the style of how the rum was distilled and you take the natural resources of what you have around. And as you said, that's your homage to the style of rum you're producing. I get on the nose, as you talked about the vanillins, um, I I get vanilla. I get that funkiness, that banana on the nose. That thank you, I, yeah. hogo. I'm walking in any place I go. I'm, I'm, I want your hogo. I want to get that hogo. <laughs> Give me no, some I, hogo. I have no, idea what we're talking no, but this is the we lost that this, history. This is the experience. I love it. it. <laughs> oh, uh, he'll bring it back. Trust go, me. go, do some googling on on hogo. Google, Google the hogo. Yeah. H-A-U-T. And this is our first aged spirit that we yeah. presented to the public. So this is this is truly the first thing that we ever did aged. There's a there's a there's a, a I want to say there's a, there's a scrumptiousness to the nose on this. It's and decadent. It's there's there's some I get some Caribbean like when I think of the nose right now. Do you remember those lifesaver the tropical flavors? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's tropical what I feel flavors. like I'm getting on the well, nose. Well, those here. are the those are the esters that we were referring to before. So when we're when we're dundering and and creating muck, you know, and we're putting that into our fermentation, that's where that's coming from. But then you combine that with those amazing things that uh, uh, that the charred new oak brings to the table, and you get such a a really well balanced and 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 fantastic spirit, in my opinion. You know, um, your mileage may vary. <laughs> <laughs> I just tasted that as you were explaining some of that, and it's a wonderful presentation. I'm I'm thinking the proof is somewhere on 90, 94. It's actually uh, 80. 80, wow. But that extra little bump that you get in the heat. What is that? Mouth, that is part of that hogo that we were talking really? about. Really? So this is the experience. Rum, I love that. True traditional rum should be I, – I, I, I recoil a little bit to say rough around the edges because that's not what it is. But there are more – the congeners, the things that I was talking about um, that, that really are what give spirits their, their flavor, when you have more of them, your mouth is going to perceive them not just as flavor, but also a little bit of that heat. Uh, so the strength is a little bit deceiving. I love what it's you've done with this. It's not going to be a burn. No, right? it's, it's not. not. It's, it's not. not, it's not, not but you'll feel that warmth in your chest. Oh, absolutely! In the back of the throat, down on the sides of the but mouth, but not in your mouth. That does not linger. I, I get it on the sides of my tongue, and maybe that's because this is the first thing we're that trying could be now. Some of the tannins from the oak. Too. Okay. Right? Uh, a little bit. I love this journey we're going on yeah. already. <laughs> Here's the thing. The thing, you know, sometimes we'll do um, a spirit and it will present at a lower proof than what it is. 
So in other words, somebody Rup, traditional but this actually would be more of the opposite. Yeah, this is the converse. It really depends. Okay, I'm not speaking broadly about all rums. There's so much nuance to it. But some of the more historically accurate approaches to rum are going to preserve some of those characteristics that will give it a little bit more of an intensity that perhaps most of your listeners are un- are not used to. Now they got to get used it's to it by f- coming here. It's not a fault. And, and, and you can see that the skill that we – and I'm going to pat myself in the back a little bit here. But uh, the skill that we have is showcased in the variety. There are some things that are appropriate and faults and some things that are not. You may not like it, but it might not be a fault, right? It may be actually more historically accurate. I'll give you an example. Beer used to have a smokiness to it because how would you dry malt, kiln malt back in the day? It would be over a wood fire. They didn't have steam firing and stuff like that. Uh, so all beers back in the day had sort of a Rauch beer kind of character to them because of the way that we, we dried malts. I'm already Don't missing that, that time of, right? of, of life because I love that smokiness and that flavor in a beer. The natural development and approach on the way things used to be historically has okay. been lost for the most part to history. And some of us do know and are trying to resurrect a little bit of that. But at the end of the day... It's not a fault, right? There could be a little bit of that. Rum is one of those spirits that should probably have a little bit more of a punch than would be indicative of the proof. And and that's okay. The flavor that lingers, and you do get, and I would say this is, if you're a bourbon drinker, this is that bourbon drinker's rum. But it still remains to hold the integrity of a rum. I still get that funkiness that I want in the rum. I still get that pineapple-y, tropical um, essence there. And the banana's there. There's this um, But vanillin is unusual and coconut-flavored lactones are unusual and, and those kind of things because typically rums are, are, are aged in used barrels. And like a tea bag, every subsequent use is going to get weaker and weaker. And so a lot of these uh, chemicals that are um, incorporated into aged spirits in the whiskey world when we're talking about new make barrels, right? Um, don't translate to tequila or rum or scotch or uh, Irish whiskey or any of the other ones that use used American oak. So just with this rum, a couple questions that come into mind. Number one, will you reuse this barrel for something else that you produce here? Yes. And is that something you have readily on your menu of what you offer or are there things that you're still thinking about doing? So we do offer uh, secondary aging in spirits for finishing purposes. Like for example, if we wanted to do a whiskey and finish in a rum barrel and give it a rum note instead of the other way. Like this is a a rum that's got a nod to whiskey. We want to go in the other direction. We would do that and finish it in a rum barrel. Or we would have a clear spirit, a white spirit that would go in there um, and age for a period of time. Uh, Or we would send one of these barrels out to, we, we actually send, so this particular type uh, actually gets destined for coffee, um, a beanery. So what will happen is they'll age their beans in the barrel and then that will be a rum infused coffee. We'll get that barrel back and it'll be infused with coffee now. Now I want that, now I want that too. So now we might age a spirit on coffee notes uh, not really the barrel anymore. It's been used twice, so it's not really going to do a whole lot from a barrel standpoint. But, but yeah, the flavor and aroma of the coffee. I can only good. imagine. So we we we're, that's really kind of what we're destined. That'd be like a coffee liqueur, totally coffee spirit like that. Yep. 
So, Sarah, for you, utilizing this, because as you characterize, Chris, you opened up a cocktail program where you make your own spirits. So you're really taking this. This is your blank canvas. This is you taking the different colors of the palette. Where do you see this in taking a cocktail? What would you like to see, or what do you do with this? Uh, so the aged rum, we've actually done uh, aged rum old fashions. We've introduced that to customers, and they uh, are typically apprehensive. It's not whiskey, um, but prior to having any aged whiskeys, we use the aged rum for an old-fashioned. And we've really turned on a lot of people with that. Um, they've tried it. There are some regulars who only get that over the whiskey. So that is, I would say, highlights that spirit the best as far as frequency in cocktails is the aged rum old-fashioned. Hands down, um, it's unique. And the customers respond to it. Now, when you said age old, age rum old fashioned, are there changes in the bitters you may use? Or is there something, is there another place you want to go with a different bitter that you would use in that old fashioned? We don't typically, you know, um, just the fact that it's a rum in an old fashioned when we introduce that to the customer as an option when we run out of bourbon, say, they're typically like taken back, like, what? Rum old fashioned? Because it's really not standard. Um, but uh, it's become a staple in the taste room. It's become a regular. Well, if that's the first thing we get to taste, I can't imagine. I can't. There's this other bottle that lingers here, but take us on that next journey. When she, uh, Sarah does something where she, we actually have um, cedar planks, <clears throat> and she'll hit the cedar plank with a brulee torch and then put the glass on top. So you'll do a little smoke wash with that. And you get a smoke wash on that glass and then build that cocktail from there. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference from what you would get, like <laughs> it, it's, it's laughable because I remember my first old fashioned was in a sports bar <laughs> and I look back on that and I'm like, that is the most ridiculous thing I could ever imagine. Uh, you know, but it's like the same conversation that we had about what was your first beer mm-hmm. and what would you expect to be drinking? And then you move up. It was in an, I know right? it, I can remember it exactly. I was in Chicago in an airport sports bar. And you said, I'll take the old fashioned because that's what. Uh, I'm sophisticated. Mad Men. That, that was Mad Men and Dick Whitman. This was a lot longer ago than that TV show. <laughs> but at the end of the day, yeah, I did not feel as sophisticated when there was a mashed up cherry and orange, like. <laughs> chunks floating around. What, did you did you put your pinky in the air? Or? Yeah, no, no. Did I, you have the little sip stick? I chewed it down and <laughs> I paid my tab and I left. <laughs> Hoping got nobody recognized no, you at the bar. Yeah, you're out of there. Uh, but we, we take, we, uh, Sarah takes cocktails to a completely different level here. And, and, and again, I think that that's the important thing. Well, obviously, we're a distillery. Uh, and, and that's kind of an important aspect of it. But I really think that that shines more in our tasting room. Well, if you're starting, I always say that when we talk about cocktail programs and especially from a distillery, if you're starting with these spirits, that's different than, you know, going out and seeing the expected or what you'd see from the mass producers, right? You already are starting with this level, but with what you're starting with, you're already raised to such a higher standard, such a higher level. You're making amazing cocktails from that point. Yeah. I had actually been bartending for now 26 years, five and a half of which I've been here. And when I first came here, it was quite the challenge because I was used to working in those typical bars with all those secondary spirits and, you know, a whole gamut of spirits. And here, when I started, we had light rum, corn whiskey, and dark rum. And I was like, well, where's the, you know, this? Whiskey, where's the, the yeah, on the age. So where's this? Where's that? How do I, you know, mix and come up with stuff? It was actually a super welcome challenge after 21 years at that time in the bar industry. 
Um, but it really did challenge me and push me, you know. And unaged corn whiskey, again, because of – you're not just thinking this almost clear, neutral spirit that no – almost close second cousin to a vodka. This really contains a lot of flavor to it mm-hmm. that you can make a great cocktail out of it on its own. Right. It's actually uh, really original moonshine. Um, that's the recipe that we follow as old school and uh, as pot distilled. So. Without having to be under the canopy of a there's, forest and no run from the yeah, run from the revenuers. True. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> moonshine, moonshine being like a fanciful term, but uh, yeah, so it's legitimately it's made regulated. legally. <laughs> but uh, but but in essence, you know, when you hear moonshine, that's the first thing back in the day that you should have thought of. Today, it's 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 actually rum that's being made because you can go to. Costco or whatever and buy a 55-pound bag of sugar and take that in the woods and you don't have to do any mashing or anything. You're, you're not promoting that? You're not suggesting that to the listener? Oh, of course not. Of course not. But anybody who's I heard Chris show say I should go to Costco and no, go we're, out we're to not, the woods. Uh, we're not doing that any more than the Discovery Channel is uh, when they have that program on TV. Right. But, uh, at the end of the day, it's way easier to mix water and sugar together and get fermentation going than go through the milling, mashing... And then laudering and fermentation process. So, uh, well, we do it a little bit more old school. So, the the end of the day, uh, handing a bottle of moonshine to a bartender and saying, "Figure out what to do with this," uh, definitely showcases their skill. I think that's a great way to try to test and see if somebody is actually a good bartender or not. Right? Give them a a product that they have not as much knowledge of, or a lesser product that they're used to perhaps in their mind using, and then see what their skills could be. What's the next one we're going to? The next one we're going to try, like I said, is going to be the fetish, because I want to kind of showcase this collaboration that we did, and that is uh, a little lighter in color than the, and the reason it's a little lighter in color than the dark rum that you just tried, or the bourbon, is because this is actually a used barrel. Uh, corn whiskey is one of the few spirits uh, that is American-made that is not actually allowed to be put into a brand-new charred barrel. Uh, if it was, it would actually be known as bourbon because the grain bill, the recipe for corn whiskey, is still legally descriptive of bourbon, and therefore the barrel is the differentiator. Now, this is a collaboration. It is. So talk about the collaboration with Fetish Brewing, Fetish in... Um Lidditz, Pennsylvania. Yeah. How you guys came together, you and Aaron, and decided on this specific collaboration? So I met Aaron through Tinder. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, he tells the same story. So either you guys collaborated well or... Did he actually say that? No. <laughs> that would be hysterical. Uh, Aaron's definitely not. Uh, but anyway, so um, actually uh, my bar manager down in uh, Newtown, she connected Aaron and I together. Uh through mutual friends. Uh, I went out there, we chit-chatted, um, and he was all in. What we did was uh, he crafted a, uh, a stout that then he aged in one of our used bourbon barrels, uh, therefore making it used again. So that weakens the barrel like a tea bag I said before, right? Uh, it weakens the barrel. So the barrel's not going to contribute a whole lot, but what it did was, in the same way that a bourbon barrel beer is sort of exchanging the alcohol locked up in the wood and, 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 and getting the nuance, we're doing the reverse of that. So the beer is locked in the wood when we get the barrel back. And now the federal government says we're not allowed to use brand new barrels. And when we get a used barrel, they, aren't, they don't define what the barrel was used for. It could be a wine barrel. 
It could be syrup. It could be anything. It could be those coffee beans that you spoke about. Yeah, so the, the, the regulations don't define specifically what kind of use. We're, we are legally not allowed to put anything into a barrel but alcohol. Not even water. Alcohol. But, it, I, but the point is that I can't, um, I can't flavor it in-house. It has to be purchased that way. So we acquire the barrel from someone else. And in this case, it was from Aaron. Right, And so now the stout beer is all in that wood, and when we put our whiskey into it, it's going to imbue the flavor of the beer into the whiskey. So this is a beer infusion as opposed to beer that's been distilled. I really love collaborations, and I wish more craft distillers would do that because I think with the community of craft beer, craft brewing, it really helps to highlight and showcase everybody's talents. But what you have here... It's 100 proof, too, by the way. This is... And again, I would say this. This doesn't drink as 100 proof. I I get more of that feeling that I had with your rum of a higher proof than I do with this being at 100. I find that for this, I love the the chocolatey notes that are there at the end. Chocolate roast, um, without a doubt. This is just a nice... This is so nice and for sipping... But knowing that this has aged in a, a, a barrel where there's been beer, you just get so many different flavor characteristics than you would of just right, a, a, a cor- an aged corn whiskey. Mm-hmm. This is just delicious. Absolutely. Uh, Aaron does such a good job with the beers that he produces. Um, and we were when we released this, uh, we released it um, with the beer. So... Yeah, having those side by side, and you have some of their beer here too, right? Get a sidecar of the shot yeah. with the beer. Uh, and by the way, that beer is not a, a little tiny beer. It's a 7%, so it's a little bit of higher um, beer. Um, but it contributes quite a bit to to what we've got available um, in terms of the flavor profile. Uh, you know. And so you're taking something that's relatively light. When we released Corn Whiskey as our entry, it was really meant to be a cr- And this is 100% corn. 100% corn. However, it's not gluten-free anymore because it was exposed to the beer. But under normal circumstances, the moon, moonshine, the corn whiskey, is 100% corn, gluten-free. Ketogenically neutral, for those of you. <laughs> uh, but, the, uh, but, the, but the idea here, ultimately, is to create some crossover, right? So in the same way that the aged rum, when we first released it and we started making uh, old fashions with it, and customers were like, whoa, that's not bourbon – why would you make an old fashioned where they tried it and they're like, whoa, I totally didn't know. And now I'm a rum person. I didn't even know I was a rum person. Well, our gin. Uh, I hate gin. We'll just try our gin and see what you, you know. We'll uh, get to the I'm gin a, and have I'm that gin, gin conversation. Where, where for you, Sarah, again, going back to the experience of the customer coming to the bar and introducing this particular whiskey to them, what's that experience like? And, and again, where do you take this and how do you treat this as, as somebody that's looking at from a bar standpoint or a cocktail standpoint? So the finished whiskey was just released um, two weeks ago. Um, we have thus far been including it as neat or on the rocks with the beer on the side. Um, it has not made its way into a cocktail here yet. Yet, except like our hot toddies, we put it in beer tail. Um, yeah. uh, you can you can definitely do a car bomb kind of thing yeah. with it. So um, I wouldn't. I'm not thinking. I'm like I'm like listening, and I'm I like, nah, I'm not doing that. I, I love I your idea. I love your idea of this being. I would leave it next to car. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, and just be like that. Yeah. But the the beer whiskeys, you know, they they definitely um, people will request them in old fashioned. Like I mean, I keep saying old fashioned, but. 
Sometimes, especially during the colder months, sometimes half of what we make are old fashions. People love old fashions. They want the rum old fashions. They want the whiskey. It's our number one selling drink in New York. They want the collaborative um, whiskey old fashions. Um, but you know, people adopt it as a standard, you know, a classic. There's a reason though too, right? I mean, Um, um, three original cocktails, right? The old fashioned, the mint julep mm, and, um, classics. Oh God, I can't now, now, of course I can't remember that. That's okay. But, but you got these classic cocktails, um, that were really, really, uh, sort of brought back, resurrected Mm -hmm. by Mad Men culture. Mm -hmm. Manhattan's and old fashions. Manhattan's the other, the other kind of. A really classic, uh, but these are all whiskey drinks, right? And, and so why not play a little bit? We talk about innovation in the first half. Um, innovation is the key, right? And, and I can't imagine a place that's more innovative than what we've got going behind the bar. Um, so that's and what what's going into the bottle. I mean, again, a collaboration like this. I mean, I, I think from knowing and understanding, look. Beer, it, it all starts out with the beer, right? I mean, you're making beer and essentially then you're distilling from there. Right. You're bringing it around again by introducing that beer back into the whiskey. Wow. Meta. Now you, totally meta. Now, well, can we can we now, do we have to? Oh, give, no. Is that trademark? Have, no, I, I, I don't know. Do we now have to? Inception? Uh, that, one's, that, one's, uh, that one's totally. Yeah. Dang it. I'm, I'm not good with this. Marketing is not my thing. Okay. What do we have in the third glass here? Okay. So this now is that we have to bourbon. pay for yeah. this uh, whole segment. Yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. Us? We're getting paid? No, oh, no. Nobody. No. There's one person getting paid and it's not us. <laughs> You're making money. Lawyers are making money. Yeah. There you go. So this is a, this is a three-year-old, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And this is your bourbon. It is. Mm-hmm. Uh, 80% corn, 10% rye, 10% barley. Uh, it is um, It is aged in a number four char, like I said before. Uh, typically, we do this in 25 gallon. So uh, because of that, it's a somewhat limited release. I did mention that we were laying down more bourbon. So Sarah had pointed out before, uh, we offer the aged rum when we run out of bourbon. But with uh, what we've been doing over the last year and a half, uh, we shouldn't be running out of bourbon anymore. Uh, we'll have more than enough to go around. All right, he's challenging here we you are. now. Come here because he says he's not running out of bourbon. <laughs> now, uh, do you notice the difference in the note that we're a straight bourbon versus uh, the aged rum? What's the same? What's different? And you can start to nuance what the barrel is doing versus what. One of the things I get about out of this right away, I don't get a lot of ethanol presentation on the nose. No, there's nothing there as compared to that rum. Eighty-six. Here, 86 proof, but it's going to be the opposite of what we've been just explaining, right? Exactly. Very smooth. And uh, you're right. The ethanol notes, it's, uh, it's, it's really more about what the grain and the barrel are doing than what the yeast are doing. And there are some techniques that we employ to, to kind of restrict some of that so that we can focus a little bit more of our attention on it. But at the end of the day, this makes for a much better presentation. Now, I will pat myself on the back here for this one please do i was at a conference in vegas you know this story because mm-hmm. i say it all the time uh one uh i'm not going to mention who it is or who they worked for but uh they were a hu- you would absolutely without a shadow of a doubt know the distillery it is world famous distillery and this guy was the gm of that distillery vice president and general manager of that distillery for 15 years he was a keynote speaker because he's now a consultant to our industry. And he was at this conference to offer uh, some keynote speaking and, of course, his services. 
But you know, when distillers get together the night before a conference, it can be a little. Bit oh, hard. it's it's madness, isn't it? <laughs> can, can be. It can be. Yeah, we know how to hold our stuff, right? But uh, I mean, the the stories you guys tell. We're all sitting around a very oh my large God. table, and we all brought our own stuff with us, right? And we're all sharing, and everybody. And uh, this guy's sitting next to me, and he elbows me, and he says, uh, did you make this? And I said, yeah. And he says, how old are you? <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> so I told him how old I was, and he said, and you made this? And I said, yeah. And he said, this is really good juice. I said, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. He said, uh, if I knew you when I was working, and he, he didn't say who it was, but he said, if I knew you when I was working in the industry, you would have worked for me. Wow. like, that's a pretty nice compliment. I don't know who the hell you are, but that's a pretty nice oh, okay. compliment. Okay, so you don't even know who this guy is no, at this it's point. some rando. It okay. could be one of the other distillers as far as I know. It's <laughs> some rando sitting at the table with me, right? And then the next day, I see his face on the projector on the screen. Oh, my God. That's that guy. Fifteen feet tall, this guy is uh, – his face is on the thing, and he's standing at the lectern, and I sit down in my seat, and I'm like reading – his credentials and now i'm like wow and there you go that's even so you went to bed thinking well i was a nice guy you know yeah and i woke up going dang it i wish i had done this a couple of years earlier i could be working in that place the uh but the end of the day the the, you know the the reception that we've got on the bourbon is pretty good we also did a double blind spirits tasting with um uh we bought every single spirit uh, that bourbon that was produced in the Lehigh Valley because we wanted to compare what we produce with everybody else's. And I'm putting the offer out there, but I haven't had any response yet <laughs> to do this a little bit more legitimately, but we did it surreptitiously and just bought the bottles ourselves and okay. put them in here. And I had my wife put them in airplane bottles with a little number on the bottom. She wrote the numbers and who they corresponded to in an envelope and stuck it and you know closed it and then handed it to me blind. And then we presented it to our expert panel of five different people, one of which was the editor of Whiskey Advocate magazine. And he and the other five, uh, four guys uh, that were here uh, and and gal that was here, uh, rated us five out of five uh, double blind. So they didn't know. I didn't know. We opened the envelope at the end and we compared and, and lo and behold, we got five out of five for top Lehigh Valley bourbon. And here's what I would tell people. If they're not familiar with the Lehigh Valley and they don't know really what's going on here. And we've had several of the distilleries in the Lehigh Valley area on the podcast. There's, and maybe it's the water, Chris, as you spoke about, or maybe it's just the the mindset, the culture of you know the the person here. But there are a lot of distilleries here, and there are a lot of really great distilleries here in Not this that. Lehigh Valley area. Yeah. To say that you've seen yeah. that kind of feedback yeah. is very high praise. Especially because, yeah, I mean, you're not like here doing bourbon for 30, 40, 50. It doesn't come from a family history. It just comes from a sense of what you want to do and how you want to produce it, right? Yeah, and and we have sort of a hierarchy of things here um, in in terms of what we're focused on. Um, Safety is always number one. Because uh, that's Mike Rowe would say safety is number three. Wow. Yeah, My, Mike Rowe has also been uh, elbow <laughs> deep in a whale. I, I've never although, been there. although now he has his own bourbon, so he's isn't he's, that the thing? Right? Yeah, he's in. Yeah. yeah, everybody's ever. Someday I'm going to become a celebrity. Will I will start being a celebrity with my own liquor as opposed to the other way? Becoming around. yes, yeah. Uh, so I take the harder. Route. Thank you very much. Uh, but the uh, but yeah so you're right there's there's a but but safety is number one but quality is number two right and cost falls down pretty low on the list at the end of the day the most important thing for us is to make sure that we deliver really good stuff this gives a nice rich 
I, I'm, I want to say woody, but it I, is. I, I, a of, of a lot of the bourbons we've had, you get a lot of the typical flavor profiles, not necessarily a lot of wood profile. And, and and as you said, Sarah, it's coming out of the char in a way. It's coming out of that. It's also the age cooperage. There's only there's, it's it's only a two or a three. This is a three year old. When you're buying some of these other ones, there's six or seven or whatever, um, and that's 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 great. They're they're using a different barrel. We're using a different barrel. At the end of the day, I believe that you should have some of that. It shouldn't taste like you're walking into the lumber yard uh, or that you're chewing on a number two pencil. The wood should be noticeable. But not distracting. But with a younger juice or a younger spirit, that you're not, I want to say, wood forcing. You know, you're not using spindles. You're not using chips. You're not introducing separate staves. Really, this is a three-year-old bourbon. Okay, so you go back and say, all right, well, what about the six- and seven-year-old bourbons? In a younger spirit, I don't get the youthfulness, the grassy notes that I would. There's still a little bit of sweetness coming off the corn. There's a little spiciness of the rye. Mm-hmm. The barley, to me, is bringing some of the smokiness to it. But the mouthfeel finishes with the tannins that you talk about. Yep. And there are really so many places that this bourbon goes. I was almost expecting from the nose it to be more of a viscous bourbon where there was more of a heavier mouthfeel. There's a nougat note on the nose, uh, a caramel and a nougat note on the nose. It gives a little sweetness. that sweetness impression. I don't get a lot of that on the mouth, but in the same tone, I get so many other different characteristics to this that there's so much pleasure to just sipping this bourbon. Yeah. Well, you, you bring up some really good points. And, and for some folks, you know, they're, they're going to say uh, their particular taste would differ. Everybody's is, and that's but okay. That's, and it, that's my, I could it's taste a, this differently it's completely tomorrow. Completely subjective. Yeah, it's completely subjective. So you're you're hitting on a lot of the notes that are supposed to be there. There are some people that are more sensitive or less sensitive to certain things, but at the end of the day, there should be a little grassiness to it. And actually, that's coming apart from the rye too, uh, because of the particular type of rye that we're we're picking up. So you get some spice and a little greenness to it. Uh, that grainy note and, and those sort of things that's important. But that wood again is another aspect of it, and the sweetness is coming from. The barrel as well. There are wood sugars in there that we're pulling. Um, but all of those things sort of meld together, I think, in a nice balanced way. There's nothing one thing that's like slapping you in the face and going, what the? Yeah, smacking me around. And- <laughs> so overall, it's a really well-incorporated, very balanced bourbon. So this for you, Sarah, is where people are coming in and this is the go-to old-fashioned bourbon. I-, I have to say, I mean, I would love to have this in that you know, cedar plank smoked old fashioned, but even even so, all your spirits right now. I just want to just have them individually, mm-hmm. and just have that just overall experience of just what the spirit is. Is there something else that you're making with this? Anything else that stands out as a signature cocktail? Uh, so, as far as the bourbon goes, there are very few people who attempt to say hide the flavor. You know, like vodka in a fruity cocktail. <clears throat> would put the fruit flavor forward versus the spirit. Most people who drink this, they want the uh, spirit flavor to be forward. Um, So whether it's on the rocks or neat or in an old fashioned, maybe with Coke, but a lot of them really want it front and center. I I am on a crusade. I just, I just want, I, maybe this is just me and I'll, we'll get all kinds of hate mail. I, I, Keep the cola <laughs> in the gun when it comes – to me, that's something you add. Cola is something you add if you just are really trying to hide mm-hmm. and, and you're, or you're just 
we we be, like we're going to talk about gin next. Mm-hmm. Why do people not care for gin? Because they've had that bad gin experience. We've had we talked about this before. Why do people hide the bourbon with the cola? Because that's what they thought they were supposed to mix it with. Because it sweetened it up and it took away the bite of the bourbon. Right? right. So I don't know. That's just me. Keep well, the you know cola. I don't like bourbon. But you keep saying that. I, 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 <laughs> but that is really delicious, and I would rather just sip that yeah. and not even have it in a cocktail. And you know. To put it nicely, a lot of people are customers are, are uh, misinformed as far as um, how to consume spirits. You know, they believe that icing vodka makes it smoother. It does not. Um, it, t- it, cold, it, it chills it down so much you can't even taste anything yeah. anymore, well, right? It chills it, but it hits you on the nose with that ethanol hit. If you drink it at room temperature, you won't have that. And that's very similar with a lot of whiskeys. You want to. You know, be cautious about the temperature you serve it. Sometimes icing is really just making it uh, more difficult to drink than room temperature. But I think, you know, and the pandemic is kind of a testament to that, that, you know, a lot of people are unaware of what to do with spirits. You know, during the pandemic, we saw a lot of vodka. So I'm very comfortable with that. Yeah, because if you're doing home cocktails, and that's really where people started to gravitate towards doing these home cocktails, mm-hmm. vodka was the easiest yeah. thing to get hold of. Plus, everybody was making hand sanitizer, mm-hmm. so oh, yeah. you just we did that too. You did that too. You can't go wrong with vodka. You In fact, vodka actually, to anything. Yeah. Not, not, I'm sorry. I apologize to be cutting no, it's off. Okay. The the hand sanitizer thing you brought up a really good point. We're we're a craft distillery. We 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 don't have massive production. We don't have economy of scale. You know, Purell would do a much better job at, at getting you that $2 um, hand sanitizer. So for us, we sold it at cost. And <clears throat> essentially, we were selling uh, $60 worth of vodka for $13, uh, a $13 liter. We were selling it by the liter, a $13 liter of what essentially would have been two bottles of vodka that we could have sold. Based uh, on the 160 proof. So that we could, yeah. So we sell normally uh, 80 proof, right? Hand sanitizer is 160, so it's twice the concentration of alcohol in the same size package. So, uh, we so did, what you're saying is I should proof that hand sanitizer down? No. 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 <laughs> well, we're, we were, we're required by law to adulterate it in a way that makes it uh, undrinkable. Yeah. yeah. So we put a bitterant, we put a bitterant in it and denature it. Gotcha. Can't be removed once you put it in there. Well. What I see is there's something in a bottle here that you oh, wait, brought. Wait, wait, wait. We got one. We got, we got <laughs> you want to do the gin first. Yes. I want to do the All gin right, first. I wasn't sure where you wanted to go. All right, we're, we're going to cleanse our palates and, and, and So we're going to do the gin and then – Sail the Titanic off into uh, – Yeah, well, we're, saving, <laughs> we're saving this guy for last because it's, uh, it's, it's my baby. It's literally the last <laughs> bottle in existence. So. It is. All right. Now, so this is your gin. American-style gin. It's a parcher from London Dry or Genevieve or – any of the other Tom, old Tom, or whatever other kind of. Gems. Now, do you want to talk about your botanicals in that, or the process no, you went no through? Secrets here. No. Um, yeah, I have nothing to hide behind. Because uh, your water, and nobody can else it's get that nice. water anyway. <laughs> I would challenge any one of my peers, competitors, or whomever to uh, to do what we do, and so I'm happy to share anything, anything at all. Well, I get I get this birch note on the nose. It's one of the things I picked oh, I love up. Love it, yeah, I love it. Is that what you? Is that what you? Is there? So a, we have a total of eighteen botanicals. In okay. It. Now, um, Bombay Sapphire's got four. Yeah. Well. Okay. So let's put that. In I don't even know why you're going there, Chris. <laughs> because it's a commercially and readily available uh, mainstream gin, right? But it's a London Dry style, so it's not quite fair. Monkey Forty Seven beats mm. us. Monkey Forty Seven's got forty-seven botanicals from Schwarzwald, the yes. Black Forest in Germany. Okay. Uh, World War Two pilot from England. Crashed in, in 
ended up as a POW in Germany during World War II and, and Black Forest and everything. He would go out uh, foraging or whatever. And he found all these different tentacles. He decided he was going to – he lives in Germany now and he – He created he Monkey 47. He doesn't live there anymore. He passed away. But he created a brand, Monkey 47, and it's and spectacular. We give, we give him mad props. Mad props. Mad, mad props. Uh, if you're up there listening, thank you very much <laughs> for your props. service and also for uh, the amazing gin that you made. But uh, we – I've always been enamored by that particular product, and um, so we are not um, trying to make a rubber stamp of that. Uh, we are but you're making your own interpretation. You're giving, you're paying homage, as you talked about. Yes, but it lets us know that there's more to – the reason is I bring that up is because there's more to gin than just these four botanicals that are traditionally used in gin, right? Um, so it does have juniper, but it's got 17 other things that are going on. And what you're tasting right now is actually a, uh, an absinthe blend. Uh, so it's uh, Grand Wormwood, Star of Anise, and Fennel. Um, that's where that uh, some of that note is coming from that you're getting. There's fresh bay leaf and fresh rosemary that we source locally, uh, as well as four different types of Turkish peppercorns. There's grains of paradise, star, uh, what, uh, coriander, clove, cardamom. Uh, and the other citruses. There's yes. three different types of citrus that we microplane so that there's no pith. It's just the oil that's really... So you... And, and again, a lot of this... Now, do you infuse this? Do you steep this? How do you create that we, gin out of that? It's called vapor infusion. Okay. Uh, and in essence, uh, as we bring our boiler uh, our, of our pot still up to temperature and it starts to produce steam, alcohol and water steam, the steam is going to filter through, move through the botanicals that we have in the column. So it's actually, there's nowhere for the steam to go but push through. So there's the a basket in the column. We call it a gin basket, actually. It comes through mm-hmm. all those vapors, all that steam, and picks up the oils the and yes. everything else. As well, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't pick up oils, <clears throat> and that's one of the valuable benefits from it. Now, there are, there are some compounds... In particular, we have hops that we use, and so uh, there's a Pacific Northwestern variety of hops in there called Amarillo, which uh, has a traditionally grapefruit note to it that adds, again, to that layer of citrus complexity. But occasionally, gins can pick up uh, some of these oils, and they they will be in suspension, but sometimes they'll flocculate out and, and end up as a, as a residue. Now I have to edit the podcast because you said flocculate? Flocculate, yeah. Okay. <laughs> How about precipitate? Precipitate? Precipitate. For those that will be flocculating tonight. <laughs> Dust bunnies flocculate. That sort of, they come together and form a, okay. a little... Visible mass. It's a very good term. If you shake it, it goes away. But at the end of the day, sometimes that happens. That's going to be our next t-shirt. I I flocculate. Uh, So so we don't filter. We don't do any kind of real solid filtration other than just, uh, you know, to make sure that no dust or anything is in there. We don't really get really harsh with our filtration. So we maximize flavor that way. Because of that, occasionally some things can settle out and you might see some sediment, but there's nothing dangerous about it in any way, shape, or form. It's just uh, it falls out of solution. That's what flocculation is. I think for craft distillers, I think gin to me is one of those products where you really show your capabilities and how much your crafts men, crafts people in the industry. Because if you make a gin or you produce a gin of this nature, of this complexity, of this character, 
I, I think that's really you know bourbon. I get it, and I'm not taking away the value of the ability to create a bourbon or what we talked about with this collaboration spirit or your rum. But this really, as you talked about, that American new make gin, that American style gin. So many different places that this gin goes. And you hit upon it right away. If you are an absinthe, if you enjoy absinthe, this is a wonderful gin Mm -hmm. that you can really appreciate. But again, if you like a spicy gin, if you, like a, if you like a, a floral gin, if you like a citrus-style gin, it all comes through that. Without and you, being muddy. No, without – And that's the important part of it, right? But that's the thing. Not one thing stands up and says, I'm here. They all stand up and say, I'm here right now. I'm here right now. I'm here right now. So you almost get – if you're watching the orchestra play yeah. and the conductor, you've created something where the conductor is going, all right – this is your time to shine. I get that spiciness. I get the peppery notes. I get the spiciness of the um, aromatic notes. I get so many different things where I could just really just – that's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 so this is kind of what we were talking about in the first half. I give a lot of props to uh, Budweiser and, and, and those guys because uh, it's incredibly difficult to consistently produce something that you can't hide behind anything. Either did a good job or you didn't. Vodka for us is like that too. Either vodka is good or it's not, right? And, and the skill of a distiller is actually really on show when you have a vodka that is really well made. You can see it because it's smooth. There's not some weird flavors or whatever. There's nothing to hide behind, right? It's, 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 it's laid bare. Gin is made from vodka. In other words, uh, you put vodka into the still. It's got to be a neutral spirit, which vodka is. And out comes gin because it goes through those botanicals and is imbued with the character of the botanicals that it, it had to work its way through. Right. So the quality of the base spirit has to be exceptionally high. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. Your gin will end up money or worse uh, if you don't understand how to – like any good chef, you're making rosemary chicken. You don't go grabbing mint. Right? There are things that belong and things oh, that no. don't belong. All right. Never mind. I'm changing that whole recipe now. <laughs> so you, you have to have an understanding of what you're doing in the kitchen uh, to be a good chef. You have to have an understanding of what you're doing in the distillery to be a good distiller. And there's nothing better than gin, in my opinion, to help identify whether or not you're doing a good job. All right. So you, you, seem, you, you said the same thing I just said mm-hmm. in a way that you – if you're going to highlight or point. show your <laughs> – if you're going to show your capabilities, this is how you've done it here – Sarah, for you, I mean, this is how do you play with this with and make cocktails out of this? How much time do we have? Well, <laughs> I could speak endlessly about our gin. It's not because it's a more valued product than the other ones. It is just so versatile, and customers don't realize that. You know, you have a very broad spectrum when it comes to gin, from the tastes like a Christmas tree to ours being rounded out with all the other botanicals that are in it. Um, I'm proud to say that I have turned on many gin haters to gin lovers because it's very rounded and easy to uh, start with. But um, I, gin, in in 26 years of bartending, um, flavors and things, they feel innate. You know, whether, I I don't do any research. It's just at this point, I've tasted everything and it feels very innate to me. What I was talking about. Um, But, right, I just instinctually know what will go with what. Gin never ceases to amaze me. And that's important after 26 years to have your mind blown sometimes. You know, I'm going to make a point for the listener of the podcast. Mm -hmm. You keep saying 26 years. So 
for the listener, when you see your She's 26, photo, it's great. Right, I know. When you see your photos on the on the website, you're going to be like, well, you know, I didn't know adolescence you were allowed to start bartending. <laughs> but apparently the laws were a little more liberal where you came from. Well, I'm, I'm actually 45. And okay. I've been bartending since I was 19 <laughs> legally. <laughs> but, um, you know, gin just, it just never ceases to amaze me. Like, I mean, there's one drink that I do. It's a pumpkin gin sour. All right. See, this is what I want. Gin, pumpkin gin what? sour. What is yeah. that? So a pumpkin gin sour is gin with pumpkin puree, pumpkin pie spices, and lemon. And we present it in a coupe glass, which is, you know, nice round glass in the fall pumpkin season with like a little bow of, um, or bow of rosemary on the top. So it's very pumpkin-esque. The rosemary is not flavored in the cocktail. It's only on the nose. Um, but that's been a really popular cocktail that I have turned on to a lot of people on to gin for. Because um, they're, mostly they're in a treat. They think gin and pumpkin. Um, I've done a gin. Oh my gosh, it's so good. A Hawaiian gin sour. It is hibiscus infused gin. Our gin infused with hibiscus and pineapple. You know, so it's just so versatile. And I'll just use one example. Um, last year, I accidentally, I was making a gin and tonic and I accidentally, instead of, or a gin cocktail, I grabbed the wrong base mix. And instead of putting in what I went to put in, I put in pump I put in the peppermint cocoa it's iced right so I pour it in with the gin and as soon as I start pouring I saw oh it's the wrong container and I went to go dump it and I thought well let me taste it literally I could mix gin with cocoa and peppermint it's just the most versatile spirit now let me ask you because do you do you on your website can people see when you're going to be having these cocktails or do they need to come to the tasting room and you're... We you're... typically put them on social media, right? And All right. Facebook so how do people find website. you on social media? Facebook, Instagram are where we... And that's just Triple Sun Spirits well, we have, at we Triple have, Sun Spirits? We have the, the brand, Triple Sun Spirits. So, Company. so you see that as an at in, in, in Instagram or whatever, right. or Facebook. But you also have each location. So there's a... You have the one in Newtown? Newtown, and, and then we have Doylestown, and we have here. So there are a variety of different options. Although our, our Doylestown location was really just sort of an experiment. Uh, we, we, we actually weren't given an opportunity to have a longer lease uh, than, than 18 months. So so we're, we we did it. We, we enjoyed ourselves. It was like a pop-up. It was a pop-up. Yeah. It was a year and a half long mm-hmm. pop-up. So we're, we're winding that one down. Um, but uh, Emmaus and Newtown are, are, are sort of our... You know, so is, so go to your website. You're going to see when to find these cocktails, but you'll see your cocktail menu. Mm-hmm. But there may be some specials, and she's prolific that like nobody said, knows about. All the time, you got to check constantly because right, uh, sub- hit that subscribe right. button, hit that follow button, or whatever, so that you get the updates. Uh, and and obviously, if you go on our website, uh, we don't list the specific cocktails on our website, but we do have like a, an online order you can. Order your drinks to go if you want to. We we, we do canning and now. Are you shipping outside of Pennsylvania? Uh, legally, no, um, because each state has its own. Um, and when I say legally, no, that means I'm being legal by saying no. Not that I do it illegally. You're just Sarah's about to just crack up right now. <laughs> I just got your listeners can't hear, but I got whacked in the in the in the pectoral muscle. Okay. Uh, anyway, so. Uh, we do not you ship do outside, not ship outside the, of Pennsylvania. Yes, we do not. Okay. But we, uh, in 2022, are going to be expanding our distribution into other states. So stay on the lookout. Uh, we will be doing distribution outside. Uh, we don't do liquor store. 
because they've the state's got their monopolistic racket going on, and I don't subscribe to that stuff. So we, you want to get it, you get it through us. Uh, we do ship though through the, throughout the state, uh, so we will we do that. My first impression of the nose on this is, I want somebody. If you haven't, this is a candle. This is. I just want to just light this <laughs> yeah. and just and just make a scent of this. That's funny you said that because I keep swearing I'm going to do a burnt fashion candle for this triple is, <laughs> This would be so the good. hogo. On, you know, oh, I mean, I the barrel's not going to get in the way here because it's a gold. This is a gold rum, by the way. Thank you. Let's talk about the rum that you just poured that I want to make a candle out of. So this unicorn that we have here, it is the last bottle in existence it's from August. <laughs> so this was uh, this was born August 2016. Well, thank you so much. I, I just want to say yeah. thank you for opening this and sharing this with us today. It has been sitting on the shelf since the day that we opened. It's the essentially. last one in hours. The good news is nothing happens this once you open it. It, you're going to have to mark the bottle so you know how much has been consumed <laughs> while you're out. My parents used to try and do that. <laughs> and uh, later on in life when I was talking to them, my mom said that she stopped drinking because she thought she was becoming an alcoholic. I said, no, no, no. I was just watering it down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, that's a riot. For all you kids listening, don't yeah. do that. That's bad. I do it. That's bad. <laughs> we have so many disclaimers on this podcast today. <laughs> Any lawyers listening? Uh, no, well, this is a perfect segue to wrap up our whole experience. I just this is delicious. I mean, so I haven't tasted about it. I haven't tasted it yet. I just oh my nosed God. it. Yeah, hey, maybe I'll share. Dawn it with has you. it, and she's not giving it away. It's, this is a straight sipper. By so, far. so this this um, has the hogo. That's a it's a beautiful rum. It's a golden style rum. It's um, gentle. It's very gentle. It, it it makes, but it's it's got that finish that has some of the tannins still left in there to give you a little bit on the sides of your tongue, particularly in the back. There's even a sour note. There is. This? There is because some of those uh, – remember the acids we were talking yeah. about before and stuff like that? All of those things are going to nuance their way through and that's what real rum should be like. There should be some funk to it. See, I think you make a wonderful point, Chris, to the point of there's so many other experiences you can have with just a rum. Mm-hmm. And for totally – Totally For all the yeah, – that's the thing. I think rum has the ability, especially in – the United States and the craft scene to really step up and be like a bourbon in a way. Well, well when I remember, I, when we, because we, you can age it, you can flavor it, you doubt. can infuse it, you can do things like this that have just wow. I mean, you can. That's put why the, I said I went rum guy. You could put the dunder pit and just. <laughs> <laughs> Not, no one's going to tour the dunder pit. <laughs> I actually, I actually used to on the tour. I would take people over and, and show them the, the dunder pit but uh, or the well the, when you start seeing goat floating around there people we, just don't want to see that there's a no disclaimer goat. <laughs> no goats were harmed no, during no. the making of our rum <laughs> no goats at no all goats, maybe some bananas Nothing. but no goats no shoes but uh, but but <laughs> there are a lot of things that are really underappreciated and if people could only just experience the way things used to be before things like prohibition wrecked it or or just whatever commercialization. Um, there's so much to the uh, to, to the rum. I was a rum guy. I almost actually started this off as a rummery instead of. Uh, well, that's why I said. I mean, a lot of our conversation really comes and stems from your love of travel, your experience with rum, and just how you look to treat that rum and convey it and communicate that to your to your client yeah. to your customer. But sadly, the golden rum uh, was not a popular seller. So I'm a commercial business. I would imagine, based on the other rums you had, and I can see why they would be popular. But this is, you know, you look, 
this is a limited release down the road. Unique, yeah. You can do a lot. I mean, you can you can put coffee in this again. I mean, there's yeah. so many plum. different things you could aging it in a it plum wine barrel. Plum juice, like you would not believe. That would be a great thing. To, yeah. I guess my question here is because we're we're kind of <laughs> dancing around a little bit. Plum and, oh my, it is so good. I can see that. Plum. It is perfect. What's the future? For you, of Triple Sun. I mean, other than you have the legacy, perhaps to leave to your kids and your family. Yeah. But where would you? You know, this is that. This is that job interview question. Where do you want to see yourself in five years? I used to give those interviews. Yes. <laughs> well, this is perfect that the the, 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 the tables have been turned. I want your job. Number one answer. Uh, so where where do where is Triple Sun going? Well, I'll tell you where we're going in 2022 for sure. All right. Uh, listen, if you had asked me this question in 2019, I would have given you a completely different answer than what's reality. <laughs> I think right? we all would have different uh, answers so in 2019. I'm going to tell you what I think is going to happen. Go ahead. So for 2022, here's what's going to happen, and then we can just think about the rest of the stuff, right? We're releasing six new additional products to our lineup. Uh, one of those products is going to be – at least one of those products is going to be a ready-to-drink canned cocktail. It's going to be – it's a hemp-infused. Uh, we're releasing it under the brand High Spirit. Uh, at 4.20, uh, 420% ABV. Uh, it has all the terpenes if for all of those people who are uh, fans of alternative um, methods of enjoying your evening. Uh, it is uh, dank, and it is filled with the terpenes uh, of marijuana. And but it is I, I really hope people stayed with us for the whole part of the podcast because we we meandered through different things but to see what you're also doing is exciting it's it's really i mean i know awesome i know you want to be consistent i know you want we talked about that today 2022 is about innovation okay and about being different and changing direction right we're we're, so not only are we going to be releasing uh a hemp infused gin and tonic that is basically like a bong hit in a bottle but uh we're also uh, you heard it here. It's a bong hit in a bottle. Uh, 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 but, uh, without <laughs> the effects. Without the effects. Okay. Because, of course, it's not legal yet. Right. Uh, the flavor profile yeah. is flavor what you Flavor and aroma and everything. Uh, so it's reasonable alcohol level, responsible, seltzer-like. It's a gin and tonic. It's going to be freaking fantastic. Uh, so we're going to be uh, producing a bunch of those, and that's going to come out somewhere around March-ish time frame. But we're really going to do a big push in the sp- – uh, March is the spring, right? Uh, that's where Jersey comes in. We're going to do a huge push down the shore. Gotcha. Uh, so, so everybody's going to be walking around with this ready to drink. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You're not going to be able to go down the shore without seeing it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're also going to be doing a bunch of different flavored spirits. Uh, we really, really love what we've been doing, but we want to offer a lot of different options for, in particular, uh, some of our female clients have been really asking for some, some interesting options. Uh, so we're going to be doing some really good flavor profiles on some of our, uh, uh, vodka uh, spirits. So we, 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 we have some really, really interesting things. I'm not going to tell you what it is yet. <laughs> let the You're listener let it... keep them in suspense. Yes. But another one that I am going to tell you about, though, uh, which is going to be uh, – we do a, something called a pickleback here. And, and some of your listeners may know what a pickleback is. Some don't. We do things a little differently here better. <laughs> uh, we, Everything you do here is better. We do yes. something called a Chesapeake pickleback. Okay? This is our, a, a nod to our friends down in Maryland. Okay. Okay. Uh, Old Bay rimmed shot glass filled with our corn whiskey next to another shot glass filled with brine from pickle juice, right? Pickle half juice brine. Sour brine. Just, half know. sour means no uh, no um, vinegar. Okay. It's just brine. Okay. So 
salty, and then the shot, bang, bang, and you've got the uh, the, the Old Bay seasoning. Well, we're turning that into a, a bottled liquor. Wow! So we're going to have a pickleback corn whiskey available. It's going to be Old Bay infused. I'm thinking, all right, all right, here's all, uh, just, Pickle juice, just so Bay. you understand where this is going, that's the bloody base for Mary, a Bloody Mary. Maybe. Yes! Which is what right. we said. Yes, It'll so it, a imagine a 100 proof bottle of corn, 100 proof bottle of our corn whiskey. I am imagining it. But with pickle, <laughs> pickle brine. And Old Bay. It's going to be absolutely <laughs> Both of which nuts. Put in our so that is going to be a, a, that is going to be a nod to what Sarah has done with the pickleback shots that originated here the way we do it here in a product for customers to take home with them so that one's going to be released all right here's chris and sarah this is where we're going to hold suspense because we're not going to tell everybody what you have to come out because you need to come here in emmaus pennsylvania Check out the renovations and, that we're and doing. also, and you're doing some renovations we here. Are. Also, Newtown, Pennsylvania, you yes. have your tasting room there. Yep. So, if you're just outside on the other side of the Delaware, you can pop over to Newtown from New Jersey. Yep. If you're in the Lehigh Valley area, come check you out at your Emmaus location. This is you touched on it, and for us, and can I, I throw one more thing? Please, in? one throw. more thing, in. because of course, this podcast isn't long enough. Uh, <laughs> You've got some masterful editing to do. Thank you. Uh, Funk Brewing Company, which is one of our neighbors, they've been in Emmaus uh, for nine years, uh, I I believe, eight eight or nine years. Uh, They are going to be joining us here. They're moving their tasting room from their brewery down the street, which is on 6th Street. Uh, They're closing the tap room completely. They're just going to do production over there on the 6th Street location. They're going to have four times the space that they've currently got in our space here. So this whole building is just going to be one massive party fest of really good stuff. So we're going to be adding 1,600 square feet of extra seating indoors. Mm -hmm. There's going to be games. There's going to be entertainment. It's going to be a mecca of awesomeness. Dogs and cats playing together. (laughs) It'll be anarchy. Mass hysteria. (laughs) So there's going to be a really, really awesome uh, destination that we're going to create here. uh, And that absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, is happening. All right. So when does the funk triple sun spirits experiment become real pending uh liquor control board approval okay because <laughs> you know of course the government's got to say yes uh they're ready to go now uh so the space is already built and ready to go for them we're just waiting on the regulatory approval we're okay. hoping that we have full regulatory approval by the end of the month but all signs point to february as being the soft Beginnings. Right. Uh, we're gonna really like the big, sh- right. the big shindig with uh, Jimi Hendrix is playing the national anthem. <laughs> oh my right. God! You got him back. Uh, tell him to bring Elvis you, with him. The, the way you're doing it, you got him back. So tell him I don't bring know. Elvis with him. Full swing and swing. Uh, we're hoping that uh, uh, late spring, because we got to be realistic, right? Uh, because there's some fit out stuff that we've got to do, and, and and other legal hoops that we've got to jump that through for the bigger space too. So we're going to do some renovations in here. We're going to build out this bigger space. We're going to bring Funk along, and we're going to have a massive party probably somewhere in uh, May or June. You've heard. I mean, this has been an awesome time. This has been so much fun, and this is what people can expect when they come and see you and Sarah and the rest of the gang here at Triple Sun Spirits. Thank you so much for allowing us to come into your living room today and just share the delicious – thanks for that beautiful bottle and wonderfulness. (laughs) 
we really appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast today and look forward to all the great you look like you want to say one more thing I want to say thank you you're saying all the thank yous we didn't get to say thank you you're welcome thank you and we can't wait to try all this deliciousness all this amazingness I'm just going to be walking around the shore this year with your ready to drink (laughs) high spirit high spirit bong in a cup bong in a bong in a a can bong in a bottle whatever bong in a can you better trademark that the bong in a can I don't think I can trademark that you might be able to if you get on it now (laughs) cheers (laughs) thanks guys